Well, hey guys, how are y'all? Y'all doing okay today? All right, good. My name's Carter. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, and I want to welcome you, especially if you're new with us. Today's a great day to be new because we are getting into a new series today called He Gave, as you saw from the video. Uh, we were in the Old Testament book of Jonah uh, for the last few weeks, and so if you want to go back and listen to that on our podcast or watch it on our YouTube channel, I would highly encourage you to do that. I got a lot of feedback from a lot of you that it was life-changing, and it was, it was very, uh, very helpful for you personally. It was helpful for me too. It was challenging encouraging. Um, so I just hope that uh, you guys will go back and listen to that as well. But hopefully he gave will be the same thing for us as we start this together. It's always fun coming into a new church, especially if you're new, knowing that we're talking about giving. And that's what the whole series is about. It's going to be three weeks straight of giving. So welcome to Redemption Church. If you're new, I'm glad to do that and encourage you and bless you in this way. Uh, but I know that when we start talking about giving, it gets a little icky. We feel a little icky about it. There's a lot of baggage that comes when we talk about a topic like giving because of how poorly it's been taught in the American church for the last 100 years. Uh, I know 100 years is a long time, but maybe 50 years. Let's give, it, let's give it a little bit of grace, okay? Maybe for the last 50 years, it's been talked about in a wrong way. The problem is the Bible talks about giving quite a bit. You know, so the last time Pastor Michael preached on giving, he said that there were so many references to generosity and giving in the Bible that if we were to preach on it in a full year, we would preach on giving every third Sunday, now, we're not going to do that, okay? So again, you're welcome. We're not going to talk about it every third Sunday, but we are going to talk about it, and we're not going to talk about it in an apologetic kind of way because the Bible talks about it. So if the Bible talks about it, we definitely need to talk about it. It means there's something really important to learn about ourselves and our relationship to God through giving. So we need to get that here. So if you have a problem with talking about giving, let me just encourage you today to hang in there and hear God's heart on the issue as we study this for the next three weeks because we're going to see that God wants us to respond to his generosity toward us with generosity of our own. And we, he wants us to be generous toward his mission. See, Jesus gave everything for us, including his own life. That's the whole gospel message that we believe, right? So we give everything that we are and everything we have back to him in response to that. That's the whole idea here. We want to be like Jesus who gave to us, of course. Yeah, we want to do that. But really, we just want to respond to his generosity toward us in an appropriate way. And there are, generally speaking, three ways that we can do that in our lives. Three things that we can give back to God in response to his generosity to us. It's our time, our talent, and our treasure. Those are the things that we can give. And we're going to see all three of those in Matthew 25 today, which is where we'll be if you want to turn there. Matthew 25, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13 today. So maybe you've heard of the concept of stewardship. We, you know, we've been given this time, talent, and treasure by God to be stewards. That means we're to care for something that's not our own, right? It's God's stuff that he's giving us to care for. So he wants us to use these things wisely in our lives. We're to live with purpose, on mission for him. That's the trajectory of our lives. We've been talking about that all year, deep dependent worship. It means we're living for God on purpose, on mission. It's really his time, talent, and treasure that he's given us to take care of for his purposes, for his mission. So over the next three weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to look into two parables here in Matthew 25 that Jesus teaches about the urgency of using these things wisely. Interestingly enough, when he talks about these parables, and we're going to talk about time, talent, and treasure, we'll see it, he's actually going to give us an eternal focus on these things. That's what the parables are about. They're to prepare us for eternity, and he's telling us the way to prepare for eternity is to give your time, talent, and treasure now in this life today. So generosity and stewardship is much more than just giving money. Okay, 
It, it, though it includes that, and we'll get there. That's the last one. That's treasure. That's what treasure means, okay? So we'll get there, but it's really a whole self kind of giving. That's the idea. You know, we should give everything to him because he gave everything to us. And it starts with our time. That's our topic for today. God's given us time. So we're to use it for his purpose and his mission. God has given us time, so let's give it back to him. So here's our main point for today if you're taking notes and you like to write things down. God gave time to you so that he could use it through you. God gave time to you so that he could use it through you. We're beings bound by time, are we not? We can't get away from it. We're in time. It's the only way that we know how to live. It's one of the principles of reality of our universe. We just can't. It's the fourth dimension, if you will, right? Everything takes time from painting a beautiful picture to maturing physically or emotionally or spiritually to learning new things. Everything of value takes time in our lives. For example, let me give you one that's important. Building relationships with other people takes time, right? A 2018 report published in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, which is a mouthful, try saying that five times fast, it found that it takes roughly 50 hours of time for two people to move from a mere acquaintance to simply a casual friend. 50 hours, that's a long time. But the study then found that it takes 90 hours to go from a casual friend to just a friend, which you would label just a friend. And then it takes more than 200 hours if you want to go from a friend to a close friend. That mostly includes time spent hanging out, joking around, playing games, really what we would call doing life together, quality time. Hours spent working together just don't count as much, the study found. So if you're doing something with somebody, that's great, but it doesn't count the same way as just hanging out and getting to know one another and being with one another, enjoying one another. The guy who did the study, his name is Jeffrey Hall, he said this, we have to put that time in. You can't snap your fingers and make a friend. Maintaining close relationships is the most important work we do in our lives. Most people on their deathbeds agree. That's really interesting to me. I find that fascinating that he puts it into a whole life kind of perspective that way. Most people who are about to die, who've reached the end of their time on this earth, they agree that building and maintaining close relationships is really one of the most important things you could ever do in your life. So this is one of the reasons why we really want you to connect with a community or DNA group here at Redemption Church, by the way. Because every time you choose not to be intentional in community, you're just prolonging your ability to create deep relationships with other believers. That's, that's up to you to do. That takes time. You have to put the time in. But that's another sermon for another day. We'll, we'll table that for right now, okay? Everything worth doing takes time. That's the point that we're trying to make here. And because God has given time to us so that he can use it through us, that's what we need to learn from today. That's what the parable is going to push us toward. So let's go ahead and get into the text together, make some observations about the parable, try to understand what Jesus is teaching us. And just for some context before we read it, we're in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 25. We've dipped into Matthew for the last two years. So you can find some of those sermons on our website if you want to go back and read about or listen to some of these uh, messages from Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. We've done some of, some of his uh, ministry time. You know, we are, we've gotten really up to chapter 13 in Matthew. So we're jumping ahead a little bit here by looking at 25. But this is the time where he's, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's, it's just before he goes and dies on the cross, and he's teaching his disciples some things about who he is and what his role will be. And they don't, they don't quite understand it yet. Remember, they're thinking that the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to like conquer Rome, and they're going to have an uprising, and he's trying to teach them something different. He's trying to give them not a, not a, not a you know, perspective of this world, but a perspective that's out of this world. 
He's trying to give him a heavenly, eternal perspective here and saying, listen, i got to teach you some things about what this is going to look like. That's what he's doing in this parable. So he's teaching them what eternity is going to look like. He's going to come back later and bring heaven to earth with him. And he's going to conquer all of his enemies. And that's when that's going to happen. But right now, he's going to go to the cross. And so he's teaching them this. It was just hard for them to understand, like it probably is for us. But let's see what this parable about ten virgins or ten young girls at a wedding party has to teach us. Let's read, uh, starting in chapter 25, verse 1. This is what it says. And at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Five of them were foolish and five were wise. And when the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them, but the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. And when the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, here's the groom, come out to meet him. And then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. That means they got them ready, they're getting things ready. And the foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. They ran out of oil, right? And the wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. And when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. And he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. All right, so this parable can be a little confusing, right? We, we don't know much about Jewish wedding customs, and so it's a little hard for us, but we can discern some things here. We want to get the point of the story, though, before we get into any of that kind of explanation. Let me give you the point now. The point of the parable is pay attention to your time. That's essentially what Jesus is talking about here. God has given time to you so he can use it through you. Pay attention to it. Pay attention because Jesus is going to come back. Now, he's delayed, and we'll get into some of this here in a minute, but he's coming back, so use your time wisely. Now, pay attention to your time. This is a fundamental part of the good news that we believe as Christians. It's not just that Jesus came once to die for sins and make us right with God, although, of course, it is that. But it's also that he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven so that one day he's going to come again and bring heaven to earth with him in time, in space, in reality, right here, right now. So the charge is to watch for that time. Watch for when he's going. Pay attention. He's Be sober-minded, we'll read in other parts of the Bible. Christians don't believe the idea that when you die, you just go to a spiritual disembodied heaven. That's not what we believe. Now, now there's debate on what happens in, in the in-between time. So that, as in, like, if you were to die right now, what would happen before Jesus returns? We don't know. The Bible's not very clear on it. Some people think maybe uh, you tend to fall asleep, like Paul talks about. He uses that language where you just fall asleep, and then you'll wake up in the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns at the tr- sound of the trumpet. That's when he wakes you up. Uh, Some people believe that you might go to paradise with Jesus, like he says on the cross to the thief, in this disembodied state, kind of like what we see with Lazarus and the rich man in the parable. Uh, You know, something else might happen. I I don't know. The the idea is that it's not clear. The Bible doesn't say. It's it's unclear what happens in that in-between time. But what's very clear in the Bible is that Jesus will return. That's the clear thing that we can get here, and that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. What is clear is the Christian hope that we believe that Jesus will return And we can bank on that. He's going to come in power and in glory. He's going to judge humanity for all time. And he's going to bring heaven to earth with him once again, just like it was in the garden. Now, Hebrews 9 says this, And just as it it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment, 
So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. See, that salvation is a rescue from God's wrath and the consequences of our sin, which would be eternal death for us, right? It's to be separated from God for all eternity. He's holy, and we're not. We cannot stand in his presence. So he has to help us with this, and that's what we're going to see through the parable a little bit here, but that's the gospel that we believe. So being in God's direct presence, just like it was in the garden, just like Adam and Eve walking with him, that's the hope that we have that he's going to return us to. But this time it'll be an eternal city, not an eternal garden. A city full of people, full of God's people, worshiping him forever, meeting him face to face forever. And this parable about the ten virgins is preparing us for that. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, pay attention right now. Because that's going to happen. That's your future. That's your reality. So pay attention now. Don't waste your time. Because we don't know the time or the hour when he's going to return. might sound like a self-help book topic to say it this way, but don't let the time pass you by. In other words, you can write it like this if you're taking notes. Time is a gift. Time is a gift from God, as a matter of fact. Don't just let your gift be thrown away. You don't throw away a gift, right? I mean, I guess you do if it's like from the goodwill or something. It's a bad gift. Maybe you might throw it away. God doesn't give those kinds of gifts though. And I'll tell you what, time is very precious. Time is a very precious gift. It's something you can never get back once it passes by, right? You can never get the time back. It's very valuable. That's, that's how we give value to things, right? It's scarcity. Time is very scarce. You can't get it back. You have to stay alert and use it wisely then. Just think about what Jesus is teaching here. We've got 10 virgins or young women who are unmarried. That's really all the word means, so don't get hung up on that, who are going to be a part of this wedding party, and they're going to go into the feast that's about to happen. And apparently in Jewish custom, what this looked like is the groom would go to the betrothed bride's home, maybe even marry her there, and then have a processional back generally to his home where they would consummate the marriage. They would have a feast and all this kind of stuff. And so they'd party all night. This is what it would look like. So, so this, this is the context of the parable here. These women, they're part of the wedding party and they're waiting for the groom to come and marry his bride, take her and take her to the wedding feast and all of that kind of stuff. And it's a big celebration. And there are five of the 10 who find themselves unprepared for this moment when the, when the, when the groom does come. They don't have enough oil to last the night, it's said. And they finally realize that once they hear about the groom coming, they hear that the groom is coming and they realize they don't have what they need, so they ask the wise girls for help. And what happens? Well, the wise girls say, no, we can't share the oil. There won't be enough for both of us. You're going to have to go get your own oil. And so the foolish girls have to leave, and they have to look for oil at the very last minute. But the problem is they miss the wedding procession, and when they come back, everybody's gone into the, to the feast already, and the doors are shut, and the groom doesn't let them in. It's too late for them. Now, we don't really know why the groom doesn't let them in, you know, it doesn't really say here, but it's trying to make the point. That's what parables do. They make points. So Jesus is making the point that we ought to pay attention to the time and be prepared because time is a gift. So we've got to use it wisely until he returns to prepare for his return because he will be delayed. And that's the first thing that we can learn from this parable that's very clear. There's a few things in this parable that are clear. The first thing is that Jesus is coming back, but he will delay. So you can write that down if you're taking notes as well because we, we need to understand he's, he's going to be delayed here. We can see that for sure in the parable. We've been talking about this, uh, excuse me, he's been talking about this with the disciples up to this point. If we go back and read chapter 24, he's been making the point that, hey, you're not going to know when I'm going to return. You need to be prepared for this. I'm going to delay 
So you need to be prepared. He says in chapter 24, verse 36, now concerning that day and hour when he comes back, that's what he's talking about, no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven nor the Son. Very interesting. He doesn't even know, except the Father alone. Only the Father knows when he's going to return. And as the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. It's a little ominous, right? I mean, he's talking about a flood. He's coming back like a flood. And it'll catch everybody unaware. Or as the old King James Version says, unawares. We all like those, that kind of language, right? Catch you unawares. And, you know, we'll be going about our normal lives, he's saying, and we won't expect it. We, we won't know. That's when it comes, when we least expect it in some sense. So we can't expect Jesus in any sure sense of knowing when he will come back, the day or the time. We can just expect that he will. Okay, so, so I just want to give you guys a warning here. Maybe you might be trying to read the signs of the times. We've got a lot of Christians who like to do that nowadays for some reason. I'm not sure why. Because they're literally doing the very thing Jesus says you can't do. Which is know when he comes back. You can't know that. You can try to discern the news and who's going to come down from the north and invade Israel and all that. No, no, no. Listen, Jesus literally says you cannot know. Do you believe him? What you need to do is be prepared for when he comes back. That's our concern for the time. You got to understand, we don't know the day or the hour. That's literally what he says. So why do some of us think that there are hidden messages in the Bible that we have to discern, and that's for us to know? It's not. Jesus says it over, go, go back and read chapter 24. He says it at least three times. It's not for you to know. You don't know when he's going to come back. What you need to do is be prepared. We'll do a study in Revelation someday, I promise. Uh, I promise you, we will, okay? But for now, we just need to understand that the details of Jesus' return, very unclear, very unclear. We don't know the details. The fact that he will return, very clear. Very clear in the Bible that Jesus will come back. But he's delayed, it says. Now, why is he delayed? Well, we actually read it last week from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let me read it again. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Why does he delay? Because he doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants everybody to come into his kingdom if they will believe. He's delaying so that the wedding party can be gathered, so that the wedding party can be ready, so that everybody who's coming in will come in. He's given us time so that all who will believe can believe and be saved in this life. That's why some Christians will even take the stance that until all the people groups of this world are reached with the gospel, Jesus won't return. They say, well, we know he can't return yet until all of the nations are actually reached. Now, I'm not sure if I take a hard stance on that or not, but it does at least communicate the urgency for us of the mission. And using the time wisely, like Jesus is telling us to use it. See, in this parable, we're the wedding party. You know, in some parables or in some stories, we might be the bride, or that's actually what Jesus calls us, is the bride. We see that all through Revelation. We're the bride. But in this story, it's a parable. Remember, we've got to understand the parable. We're not the bride here in the story. We're the wedding party. That's the point. The point is being made through the wedding party and our relationship to the groom in that way. I might have wondered why he doesn't mention the bride. Well, parables are parables, and they make one point. And we've got to understand the point that Jesus is making here. So we're either going to be part of the wise girls who are a part of the wedding party, or we're going to be a part of the foolish girls who are part of the wedding party. We're either ready for the groom to come, or we're not ready for him to come. So waiting for him means that we wait in a prepared way. He's going to be delayed, so we need to wait with purpose 
and not passivity. That's the next thing you can write down from the parable that we learned. Jesus is delayed in coming, so we wait for Jesus with purpose, not passivity. You can write that down, but throw that, throw that slide up there. There you, go, there you go. There it is. Okay. You can, you can write that down. That's the difference between the wise and the foolish young girls, right? Both are going about their business in their everyday lives. Both are li- living their normal lives. But five of them are ready when they fall asleep, and five aren't ready when they fall asleep. And so when they wake up, the oil is the symbol here. Either they had enough oil or they didn't have enough oil for their lamps. And you'll notice that in falling asleep, sometimes that's a bad thing because we've got to stay alert. But in this parable, that's not the bad thing. In this parable, it's just part of normal life. You know, when you're waiting late for a groom who's delayed, and it's late at night, because that's generally what happened here, you know, this would happen, they'd party all night long, probably for days, they fall asleep because the groom hasn't come yet. And that's not part of the problem. The wise fall asleep too. The problem is that they're not ready when they fall asleep, right? So the, the wise ones fall asleep, and they're prepared for the groom coming. The foolish ones aren't prepared when they fall asleep. See, that's the idea. We need to wait with purpose for the groom, not with passivity. See, they, they fell asleep unprepared, and Paul exhorts us in Philippians, or excuse me, Ephesians 5, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, interesting that he uses that language here, the same as Jesus, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do you wait with purpose, not passivity? We understand the Lord's will. That's what he's saying here. And as we've talked about before, the Lord's will is not hidden from us, is it? You know, so many people think that we've got to look for God's specific will for our lives. We've got we to understand what he wants for us individually. That Every step we've got to take, we want to make sure that we consult with God. And we ask, well, what do you want me to do? Well, listen, the Lord's will is not hidden here. He's not saying you've got to figure it out like it's a puzzle. He's saying you just got to understand the will that he's already revealed to you in his teaching. His will is not hidden. Think about the great commandment to love God and to love others as yourself. Uh, Think about the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That's what we ought to do. Love God, love others, share Jesus with them to make more followers all over the world. That's not hidden at all. We know the Lord's will. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying, understand the will that you've already been given. So that's our purpose in waiting now. We also learned what this looks like too in our growth series, if you remember from a few months ago. Acts chapter two, we saw the New Testament church live this way gospel, gather, groups, give, go. Those are the five things that they did together. So purposeful waiting includes spending time with God, with the gospel, right? Spending time worshiping everyone. uh, No, no, we don't want to worship everyone. Worshiping God with everyone, with other believers, right? (laughs) Gathering together, you know, that's gather. Spending time getting to know other believers and living in community with one another, getting in deeper relationships working to that 200 hours perhaps, right, in our lives through groups in homes, then giving our time, talent, and our treasure as we're talking about in this series, and then finally going with the gospel. The fifth thing, sharing Jesus with you, blessing somebody, if you recall that, beginning with prayer, listening to them, eating with them so you can spend time with them, serving them, and then sharing Jesus with them. Man, that's how you wait purposefully. We know God's will. We use the excuse sometimes, well, I I think I don't know what he wants me to do. Yes, you do. He's been very clear in the Bible. Live on mission for him with his purposes. So I just, you know, in in saying all these different things, I've summarized what we've studied together for the last like three months, you know, or maybe four months. Let's keep going back into April. Let me me quote Colossians here because we studied Colossians together this year too. Colossians chapter four says, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make, make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. You want to wait with purpose? Paul gives you very clear direction here. Let me just give you the two things that I think we can pull from this real quick. First, pray. Wait purpose, purposefully by praying. That's the first way, right? Pray. Ask God to open doors for the gospel. That's what he's talking about here. Ask God to open doors for the gospel in our city, through our church, through other churches here in Roanoke, through your own life so that we can, what's he say, speak the mystery of Christ and make it known as we should, right? Very clearly God's will. Pray for the people around you who don't know Jesus. Pray for them by name. Ask God for supernatural opportunities to listen to them and serve them and share Jesus with them. It's very interesting to me. I asked God for that. We have a, a rental house right next to us. And I asked God, I said, hey, can you, can you send somebody that we can share the gospel with very effectively? Somebody who's around our age, that would listen to us, that you would give us favor with them. Well, we met them yesterday. They walked over to us and they were very friendly and they're just a little younger than us, which means they were willing to listen to us and, and talk to us. I think that means I know what God's will is there, right? I think I understand that. I think I know that I'm going to have to share the gospel with them at some point, or I get to. Maybe I should say it that way. I get to share the gospel with them at some point, right? So I prayed for that, and God answered. Supernatural. So I'm going to keep praying and ask for those supernatural opportunities. But then Paul says, act wisely toward outsiders. Who are the outsiders? Those outside the church, the lost. Wait purposefully by acting wisely toward lost people. And he expands on that by saying, make, make the most of every opportunity that you have to share. Make the most of it. And do it in a way that's gracious and seasoned with salt. You know what salt does? It preserves and it enhances flavor. Those are really the two reasons you use salt, right? So preserve the truth of the gospel, yes, and share that truth with the outsider, but do it in a way that will make their life taste better, right? Do it for those who've never tasted and seen how good Jesus is. I know one of the main reasons we fail to share the gospel with people is because we don't know what to say. But Paul says that if we stay gracious, so we're not angry, we're not impatient, we're not frustrated with other people, if we stay gracious and we give them a taste of the goodness of God in our own life, then they're going to know something's different about us, and they're going to start to ask us about that. And if you haven't had people ask you what's different about your life, maybe it's because you're not that different. And that's very convicting for me this week when I thought about that. Do I have people asking me what's different about my life? And if I don't, maybe I'm not acting that different. So we need to be aware of that. Are you being salt to people in this way? Are you living graciously, on purpose, on mission for God? They'll know something's different when you're doing that because you're waiting with purpose, not passivity, and they'll see it in your life. The last thing I want to point out from the parable is this. Our obedience has to be our own. Okay, Jesus will return. He's going to be delayed. So we wait with purpose and not passivity, but then third, our obedience has to be in the waiting. And it's our own obedience. It can't be anybody else's. See, the young girls were foolish. And they thought they could get oil at the last minute when they realized that they needed it. And they thought that they could get it from those who already had it, right? Who were already prepared. The problem was they couldn't do that. There wouldn't be enough to go around. They were each responsible to get their own oil. So oil here is very representative of something, right? Again, this is to simply make the point that we have to be obedient to use our own time wisely. It's, it's ours to use. It's not anybody else's. Here's another way to say it. You could write this down. No one can spend your time for you but you. No one can spend your time for you but you. 
That's, that's stewardship. God has given us this gift to steward and take care of. He expects us to do that. Being intentional with your time to follow Jesus is up to you, not even God. I know we always want to ask God to change us in a way that makes it easier for us to do what he's asking. We always want to say, hey, God, can you, can you do this for me? Can you do this through me? And listen, if you rely on him, he will start to do those things, but you got to do it with him. This is not a faith where he just takes over. Jesus, take the wheel, you know? That's not it. you gotta, you got to be a part of this. He expects your obedience. The fact of the matter is we'll make time for what's important for us, won't we? Even if we're not intentionally planning out our days, something will intentionally consume our time every day, and it's always going to be whatever we care about the most, whatever we think is the most important. And if you want to know what you love, then look at how you spend your time, right? I know we say that about money, but I really think that time is probably more important in this factor. Do you spend your time on social media? Let's, use, let's just use that as the example. You know, I love to dog on social media. Let's just see, is, is this a, is an example here, okay? It could be for a bunch of reasons that we spend our time on social media, but it could be that, you know, maybe you spend your time there because you love the approval of others. So when you get those likes for that post, it makes you feel better. That's why you spend your time there. Or maybe it's because you love to feel in control, because you're always able to know what others are doing and you want to be in the know and you want to be in control of what's going on in the world, what's going on in other people's lives and so you like spending your time there for that reason. Or maybe you love to feel superior to others as you compare yourself to them, right? Maybe that's why you spend your time on social media or maybe you just love to veg out. It's one of my temptations. I've told you guys that before. I just got off of social platforms like Facebook and Instagram because I, I just scroll. I just would get on there and be entertained, waste my time, just turn my brain off and waste my time mindlessly. So I don't know what it is for you, why you might spend your time on that, or I don't know what else you spend your time on. Maybe you spend too much time watching movies or TV. Maybe you spend too, many, too much time playing video games. Maybe you spend too much time working. That might be a hard one for all of us. I know the culture that we're in, but listen, if you want to look different, I'm just saying. Maybe you spend time worrying about things that you can't change. Maybe you spend time on something else. I don't know. The key is you spend time on what you think is important. You spend time on something because you think it's going to help you or you think it's the primary thing in your life. So be intentional to spend your time on what matters the most. Now listen, if you think of your life like a wheel with spokes, then everything that you have going on in your life will be controlled by and revolve around that thing that's in the center. right? So when you finally realize God has given time to you so he can use it through you, that means you finally put Jesus in the center of your life. Because when he's at the center, then everything else revolves around him and comes from him and is informed by him. And that informs how you spend your time every day then. It's a complete perspective change. We've been talking about this all year. That's what deep dependent worship looks like. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for God first, which means it's not your time. The time that you have in your life is not yours. God has given it to you. If you really believe it's a gift from God, then it's his, and you use it the way that he wants you to, not the way that you want to. It's God's time. You fit everything around him and around his purposes and around his mission, not the other way around. You don't just fit him in to your schedule like he's just some small thing in your life. He is your life. He's the center. You fit everything else around him. That's how you begin to take control of your time. You give it back to God. If you want to take control of your schedule, then give it to God and ask him, what's your, what's your will? 
Let me understand your will. Get in the word. Understand how he wants you to live and then center yourself around that, which would be the mission, loving others, loving God. And the crazy thing is, when you start to do that, you'll have enough time for all the other stuff that you need to get done. I promise you, you will. You know, maybe you've heard this from Matthew chapter 6 before. I don't know. It's a verse that maybe some of us have heard. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. If you seek the kingdom first, if he's at the center, then everything else that you need in your life will be provided. He promises that. All these things, what are they? All the things that you have to accomplish, all the things that you need to spend your time on. You want to spend more quality time with your family? Start by spending quality time with God first. You, you want to spend more time being a good employee at work and do better work while you're at work? Start by spending time in prayer for your work. You want to do better with your time in school? Prioritize learning about Jesus first, and then he'll give you what you need to learn the material that you have at school. You've got to prioritize him first. I'd like to take a minute to commend my wife on this. She just recently had to go back to work. And, you know, we, uh, I mean, it's just, it's a big change. When you have somebody in your home taking care of everything, and then she has to go at least 30 hours uh, or, or a little less than 30 hours a week, then that changes the dynamic of how you have to operate in your household. And so she has done really well about scheduling everything. We use the Google Calendar. We share the Google Calendar. She'll schedule everything down to, like, what we're having for dinner and when, down to like when the girls have something with swimming or what, you know, a party that people need to go to or whatever it is. Uh, she'll schedule when she's working out and when she's going for walks. She'll schedule everything out. That's what you have to do to not waste your time. You have to be intentional with your time because she realizes God has given time to her so he can use it through her. And her primary responsibility in that is to care for our family well. She takes that very seriously. And to do her job well that she now has and to be a leader here well, and all that, so she wants to use her time well. See, our obedience has to be our own obedience. It's up to us. It's one of the responsibilities God has given to us, so we've got to spend it wisely. But another way to say that our obedience has to be our own is that our faith also has to be our own. So you can write this down as well. No one can believe in Jesus for you but you. Nobody can follow Jesus for you. You have to follow him. That's also likely what the oil and the lamps is getting at in the parable as well. Nobody can have faith for you. They can't give you their oil. You have to get it yourself before the groom gets here. I think the sleep maybe in this could represent death also, right? You, you, you got to be prepared before you die in this life so that when the trumpet sounds and the groom is coming, you're prepared when you wake up. You can't be unprepared. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe you have gone to church for years. Maybe you've gone to church for a long time. Maybe you've even heard sermons here that have moved you and spoken to your heart. But see, my faith cannot save you. Neither can your parents' faith. Neither can your friends' faith. You have to follow Jesus for yourself. Maybe you're here and you've never done that. I don't, I don't know your, everybody's story here. I just want to give you a word of warning. There's nowhere that this can be more dangerous than in a growing church like ours. Yeah, our church is growing here and we're seeing people get saved. I mean, we had nine baptisms this year. That's incredible. And we can be around the excitement of people's lives being transformed and we can look in at what God is doing and we can really admire that. And we can really be excited about that ourselves. All the while, we haven't let God change our heart. We haven't surrendered our time and our lives to him. We're excited about it. But we just don't have a really close relationship with God at all. Maybe we even believe in God. We haven't followed Jesus. We haven't surrendered all of these things to him. 
You need to surrender all of who you are, every part of who you are, including your time. Maybe you need to surrender to him right now. I don't know your story. What that looks like is speaking directly to God and saying to him that you know you've been wasting your time doing other things. You know that you have not put him at the center of your life and you're sorry for that. You recognize that you need him and that you want to put him at the center. You've been rebelling against him though trying to spend your time on all these other things, but you want to be ready. You want to be prepared for his return and give the rest of your time, the the rest of your life to him. Man, if you've never said that to God, do that right now, right where you are. You can tell that that to God. And if you need help with that, we're going to have prayer counselors up front at the end of our service. You can come down and talk to them and they'll help you through that as well if you need it. Man, your time is short. Be prepared. Because the incredible thing about the God that we know is that when you put your faith in him, he's immediately there with you right then. His spirit is with you to comfort you and change you and give you rest for your restless soul. God is a God over time. God created the concept of time, so he's used his time very wisely, right? He's used his time so wisely that God has geared all of human history to rescue us from sin and death and bring us into his kingdom family forever. You can think about it like this. Jesus saves us for all time. Jesus saves us for all time. See, he deals with us at every stage of time, past, present, and future. He sent Jesus into the world to save us 2,000 years ago. He saved us then. He lived a life that was perfect for all 33 years of his time on this earth was so purposeful and so on mission that he died to make you right with God. Never wasted time. And when you put your faith in him, the moment you do that in time, he will save you now as well. That means he's in the process of saving us. We call that sanctification. It's a big theological. It just means making us more like Jesus throughout our life, every single moment of every day so that we can look more and more like him. But then when we trust in him, he will save us in the future when he comes back, bringing heaven to earth. So our salvation operates in all three realms of time, past, present and future. He saved us. He is saving us and he will save us then. Man, it's a beautiful picture of God using his time the wisest, right? And he's given us time to steward. That's the beautiful thing here too. We get to participate in that with him. He's given time to us so he can use it through us. So our call to action today is give your time to God. That's our call to action. Give your time to God. Don't walk away from here without surrendering that to him. I don't want to be dramatic about it, But I really do believe that out of all three of these things we're going to talk about over the next three weeks, time, talent, and treasure, time is the hardest thing and the most important thing to give to God. I really believe that. Because if you find yourself always saying things like, well, I just never have time for filling the blank with something, then whatever that is, it's not very important to you. It's just not. Because we give our time to what we love or what we think is most important. So if you're saying things like, well, I just never have time to go to community group. I just never have time to be in God's word every day or pray. I just never have time to serve others in a meaningful way. I just never have time to share the gospel. Man, then then none of that matters to you is what you're saying. You have not centered your life on Jesus. You haven't given your time over to God because when you do all that other stuff, well, it still might be important, but it doesn't consume your time. Instead, you start to leverage your time to live on purpose, on mission, for Jesus and whatever you do. Time is a resource that we have to spend. You can't not spend time. You've been given time and you will spend it 
every moment of every day of your life. There's no keeping it. You can't save time. You can't even earn more time, right? It's just something that you have to either use wisely or use foolishly in this life until the groom comes back. God's given time to us so he can use it through us. Give your time back to him because it's already his anyway. Let's pray. God.